The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Let's get her going. The Culture Clash is with us every Tuesday at this time. And uh, let's delve into some of these tasty issues that are on the table. Joining us yet again, Dr. Scott Masson, Associate Pastor at the Westminster Chapel here in Toronto. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, John. And Justin Trotche, Spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Good morning to you, Justin. Good morning to both of you. Good All right, morning. Well, here's this story that sort of pits uh, secularism against religion. It's uh, 9-11. As we well remember, uh, horrific in all the gory detail, but uh, there was something that uh, was found in the rubble, and it was uh, two cross steel beams in the rubble of uh, 9-11, and uh, it looked very much like the Christian cross. And now there's a museum dedicated to 9-11 and the memorial and all, and uh, this cross is on display. But it's got the ire of the atheists who believe that it's overtly religious and therefore has no place in what should be a public museum and uh, something that should be, they believe, secular. So they're now contesting it in the court and uh, hope that they carry the day and have this cross removed. Justin, I'm going to start with you. You're with a secular society. Mm -hmm. Do you believe the atheists have solid footing here with their uh, case. They don't want a cross in the public square. Well, I believe that a museum which is meant to uh, commemorate and memorialize this horrible tragedy um, uh, should include it, you know, all Americans because uh, members of all different faith groups and cultural and ethnic communities uh, were affected. It wasn't just Christians who were, who were killed uh, in, this, in this tragedy. Um, so I think having an official religious symbol is problematic. Having said that, I, I certainly sympathize and I appreciate that it has a, a tremendous emotional and, and historical uh, value. So I'm not arguing to remove the cross. I, I don't actually come down on, on with respect to that particular uh, side on this. What I think is there should be a way to um, contextualize it as a historical artifact that is part of the the historical value of, of the site. And I think that there should be some way, maybe through a reference or a plaque of some kind, some reference that... It was a plurality of Americans who suffered, that it wasn't just Christians. Otherwise, it's easy to see this as simply a religious symbol, as, as sort of triumphalism, Christianity being the victor over you know, radical Islam, which was, of course, the faith of the, of the terrorists. So I think it's important to have that context there. All right. So you put up a plaque to uh, sort of take away the notion that this is about a Christian symbol. It's just two steel beams. Mm-hmm. Scott Masson, does that make sense to you? Well, it, yes, it does. I mean, in, in one sense, the, the uh, symbol there uh, has multiple significance, including emotional ones for those who are there. I have two abiding images of 9-11. Uh, the one is the two uh, planes going into the two towers. I saw the second one going live on TV. Um, and the second one, the, so that going in, crashing in, and the second one is the firemen and the police officers rushing in there, giving their lives for uh, for people who uh, had been affected by this. And so I was struck at the time, greater love hath no man than him who lays down his life for his friends. 
And so that has an, an enormously poignant uh, uh, image for many people to this day. Uh, and the fact that this girder was found across uh, and people took enormous solace from this, I suspect that it's not just the Christians that have a, there's a sort of a poignance to it. Um, I, I, I do think that there is a sort of a, a, a stark contrast between the hate-filled um, uh, Islamic religion, uh, religious expression that, that motivated those who, who flew the planes into the two towers and then those who rushed in to save it. Now, I, to see this as a symbol of victory, I find extraordinary. Uh, here's where I'm going to disagree. I don't see it as a symbol of victory. I think it is a symbol of, uh, of judgment. Uh, that's what the cross is historically. It's a, it's a, it's a state-sponsored uh, instrument of, of death. It's the symbol. It's, the, it's what the Romans used to uh, execute their political enemies. So it's mm-hmm. a representation of the state and of judgment on the enemies of the state. Uh, for Christians, it, it has the significance it does because the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, it means life for us. The judgment that was visited upon him was intended. So and is, is, all of this is going to be symbolized by the steel girders then? Well, it is to some degree going to be symbolized that for some, mm-hmm. but uh, and and. Well, and it's a symbol of suffering and redemption. So, uh, you know, I'm, well, I'm sympathetic to the appropriateness will, of, of the. I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the appropriateness of the symbol. I, I am not in favor, as the American atheists are, of simply removing this this important symbol or of replacing it, as they suggested, with some sort of atheist monument, whatever that might be, of equal of equal size. Well, they I just want it taken down. They're talking this those cross. Are their options, screams, yeah. That's what they're after. They yeah. say this cross screams Christianity, but there were perhaps five hundred or a thousand people who died in this tragedy who were not Christians. Well, I don't know what the atheist symbol would be anyway. What is the atheist well, symbol? Is it going to be the face say, of Mao or Hitler? Or, I mean, uh, I, I mean let's atheist be fair regimes? Here. I'm, try, I'm trying to be a little bit... No, fair uh, enough, know, fair but I mean, I don't know. I, I actually don't know what the, an atheist symbol is. I guess they would say is. the absence of any symbols uh, connoting any specific faith. That's what they want. They want total secularism. So when you're talking about contextualizing it, uh, Justin, I guess where uh, that would mean keep the cross and then put something as a counterpoint... Uh, you know, for atheists, because the cross obviously has its symbolism. See, some of the people who are saying it, it don't read too much into the symbolism. It's just two girders that were found in the ruins. And some people at the time use that as a touchstone to sure. their faith. And therefore, it has a historical value that in the immediate aftermath, a lot of people rallied around it or imbued it with significance. And so we put it in the museum and explain it that way. I mean... Is that sort of a compromise? Or? Well, I mean, it, it, it negates the way that art and in general symbols work. Symbols are generally, they comprehend and include people in it. If they're a good one, a good piece of art will in fact include the sentiments, seem appropriate, speak truth to it, have a moral worth and so forth. This seems to me to be entirely appropriate. To add to it is to suggest that the symbol is not, uh, in some sense, doing the thing that well, it is. And I think, I mean, Justin... The symbol has been modified over the years. I mean, it was actually trimmed and, and had other forms of modification given to it so that it would more closely resemble a traditional cross. Sure. I think that was done in 2006, so okay, I you know, know. five years after the actual sure. incident. Sure. It's gone through some history. There. Right. Well, it's become a, a piece of a work of art rather than just two steel, steel beams crossing yes. over. Because, again, two steel beams, there are a lot of steel beams in there. <laughs> Presumably, they're not representative of what... Well, at the time, I mean, but the way it was uh, in the rubble, seen in the rubble, uh, it was almost like... Uh, yeah, like was, a cross stand. Yeah, sure. almost a Rorschach test of sorts if people saw a cross. Mm-hmm. And, well, it was uh, actually on an angle. They needed to actually extricate right. it, cut right. it down. So, right. you know, there was some human uh, creativity and ingenuity that certainly went well, into creating that's what creating goes with that there, there's an element of... No, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying it's already 
a context has been put upon it. All I'm suggesting is now it's being moved out of, I think, a religious uh, 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 building where it was housed for some time, I think, where it got blessed and, and, uh, and where, where a priest looked after it. And now it's being put into a government museum. So the context changes again. I think it's a, it, given that that context is changing, you know, having a plaque, uh, making it clear, as I said earlier, that, that, that we do need to be, we, uh, including those who are not Christians, uh, who, who died in the tragedy, who were affected, whose loved ones uh, died in the tragedy. I think that's important too. Well, I don't think it's a memorial to those that died there. It's a, it's a representation of an act of aggression of, of a, a, a radical religious group against another culture. It's You're not, saying I, it's anti-Islamic in a sense then? I don't see it that way. I see it more. Well, I don't see it that way. My my understanding of it is it represents the uh, the faith and the um, and the hope of those who were attacked, rather than being an anti-Muslim thing. It's more of a. For some, it's clearly going to represent their Christian faith, but for others, it's a symbol of uh, All right, solidarity. Well, what do you do? Uh, leaving the atheists aside, what do you do to accommodate? Uh, the Jews uh, who also died that day, because uh, there were many. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I remember talking sure. to the head of Cantor Fitzgerald, yep. you know, who lost 700 of their employees, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, his brother. And I mean, this was uh, obviously compounding the tragedy. If there's no recognition there, can we start seeing people lining up and saying, well, if you don't include us and some of the symbolism there, I mean, there's no end to where it can go. I mean, do we have to acknowledge everyone's faith in this regard? Are we being selective? Is there a point where this is being chauvinistic? These are the arguments being made by the secularists. And of course, there's going to be debate in every community. I mean, the American atheists have a rather aggressive position. I'm also an atheist and a secularist. I don't happen to share it. I have, I think, a more nuanced perspective, I would, I agree. I would hope. Um, and I know that among the Jewish community, since, John, you've mentioned the, the Jewish community, uh, the Anti-Defamation League has, has actually said, you know, we have no problem with this cross. We understand it has value and, and uh, emotional appeal to, uh, to a, lot of, uh, a lot of individuals, Christians and others, not just Christians. Uh, but other Jewish groups uh, have, have expressed a desire to have some symbolism of, of their faith. So uh, I don't think there's an easy answer here. But uh, to, to a point that you made, Scott, th- this, this is a museum ultimately to, to commemorate th- those who die. That, that's clear from its mandate. So I do think it needs to be open and inclusive. Well, it is inclusive. That's the thing. There's nothing exclusive about it. Nobody is prohibiting people from coming and drawing solace from this object. There's no prohibition there other than Mm -hmm. the prohibition that I don't want to do it. Well, you're not being excluded from it. That's... I, I, I don't understand the the, uh, the grievance that's being expressed here. It's, the, it's the, again, the grievance culture that is so much a part of American uh, jurisprudence and so forth these days. I feel offended, and therefore you can't do this, mm-hmm. this sort of thing. And well, I, I agree with you on it's that. It's pathetic. But if additional right, so elements or symbols it, were added, we'll be art, wrong with artifact. that. All right, as a historic artifact, it has its place in the museum, says God Masson, and uh, you can even accommodate it, but with a proviso that the uh, atheists also get acknowledged in the tragedy of 9-11. All right. Uh, There's another museum story here. It's the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, and uh, they've run afoul of a blogger, tell you that story, and also (laughs) former Governor General Mikhail Jean calling out a rape culture that's infected the country's campuses and society. We'll see what the panel has to say and invite calls. All right, let's get back into it. The Culture Clash panel this morning is the uh, Reverend Dr. Scott, uh, Scott Masson, Associate Pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, and Justin Trache, Spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. A couple of uh, female-centered stories, and this one uh, very quickly. The Canadian Museum for Human Rights out in Winnipeg. We we're talking about the uh, 9-11 Museum. This one here in Winnipeg. 
has a website where they asked a female historian to write a blog post, and uh, Verona Strong, Veronica Strong Bogue uh, wrote what essentially was uh, a diatribe against the conservative government of Stephen Harper, saying uh, their policies towards women are abysmal. For example, they don't support abortions in the third world and these kinds of things. And uh, they decided to uh, pull the blog, and she's claiming censorship. Justin Trottier, is she right about that? Well, technically, I suppose it is censorship, but we have to provide some context here. Uh, over the course of the last year, the blogs on this museum website have been fe- have featured only staff writers. I think there has been two exceptions to that where they've had guest posts in. Uh, they've never developed guidelines, and I think this shows the danger when you have open blogs. Um, what she did was was totally, um, I think, out of place with respect to you know the museum's mandate. I think there is a place to have debates about human rights in terms of the domestic context, in terms of whether the gov- government of the day is protecting uh, human rights in Canada or abroad. But I question whether it was on the homepage of uh, of a national museum, uh, perhaps setting up a separate forum that was more freewheeling, that invited you know, public commentary. That would be the appropriate place to do that. So I think this is about the appropriate place for these kinds of debates rather than whether censorship actually occurred. So she wasn't really censored. Scott? No, it's frivolous and ridiculous. If she wants to write a blog, she can write a blog on it herself. The point here is that there's an official blog for the museum, uh, and they lacked a policy, clearly, that it should go by an editor before exactly. it gets posted onto the page. Um, that That's a fault that they, they have readily acknowledged and they're going to rectify. But quite frankly, if you publish with any... Uh, organization and newspaper stuff, it goes by the editor and it has to accord with their policies, etc. It didn't do that and so it actually made it onto the web page. Normally it wouldn't even have got that far, but it's a party political statement on her part. She's welcome to have that. She's welcome to blog on it. Nobody's going to stop her from, from doing it, but the, but the museum does not want to be associated with party politics. It's all right. totally well, and she, she was still able to publish. I mean, for right. example, she got it published it's on uh, on <laughs> a, right, so a, a socialist website called Rabble, which <laughs> itself has guidelines and policies right. about <laughs> w- what they accept and what they don't. So again, it's a little rich that she would be claiming censorship when yeah. she's not censored, and uh, she had her point of view, but they just didn't want to be seen as being propagandists here at the Human Rights Museum out in Winnipeg. Right. All right, here's another story, again, female-centric. The former governor general, Mikhail Jean, is uh, calling out a rape culture that's infecting the country's campuses and societies. We know there have been some problems up at the University of Ottawa with a men's hockey team involved in some kind of an episode of sexual assault or allegations up in Thunder Bay, and so the whole team, their season was scuttled. Uh, there are also some, some I guess, uh, elected student representatives who uh, got caught in a Facebook entry concerning another female politician, and uh, that also came out to... Uh, I guess who uh, the chairman, the president at uh, U of O is Alan Rock, mm-hmm. and he's called a task force to respond to these allegations of sexual assault and harassment involving students. He says that, uh, I guess, playing into the, the same thing as Mikhail Jean, who is on the board up there at the University of Ottawa, there's a rape culture going on. Uh, the hypersexualization of society and I guess lax mores uh, might be leading to this. I don't know how you uh, see it. Do you think there's a broad-based rape culture on college and university campuses, Scott? Well, I mean, we talked about this. I'm a university professor at Tyndale University College, teach English there, but I'm involved with uh, student ministries with uh, university students throughout the city here. Um, Obviously, rape is an issue on campuses and has been for a very long time, but to speak of a culture of rape is to suggest uh, things like an ideology funding 
an explicit uh, agenda to do this on and a collect uh, and a sort of a collective action towards that, which I simply don't see. Nor I don't even see a spike of rapes, if as far as I know, on on campuses. So it seems to me that really what we're seeing here is a culture, but it's a culture uh, that uh, of feminism. Uh, that Mikhail Jean, perhaps, and others, uh, women's studies departments, uh, it's in their interest to suggest that there's this imminent threat to women, and they get funding from the government as a concert. That's the only culture that I see here, not the rape culture. You think there's a rape culture, Justin? Well, I'm quite active on campuses, too, in one way or another, and we, we do hear uh, from time to time serious cases of of, of assault, sometimes of a sexual nature against women on campus, and, and rape is a heinous crime and, and yeah, should indeed. be taken extremely seriously. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about rape culture, I think the problem is to, to debate that, uh, to say anything critical about that concept, uh, it's akin to the perception you're defending, you know, pedophiles. Uh, or for a politician to, uh, as we were debating on the show, you know, a couple of months ago, uh, want to uh, censor the internet um, to, def- you know, to protect kids from from pornography. You know, it, it's something that needs to be debated. Uh, but to, to defend it in any way, you know, you're seen as a bit of a monster. But I think what's important is to look at the evidence. And when research is done, and admittedly there isn't too much looking at sexual assault specifically on a campus setting. But when it's done, it, it does not back up the idea that one in four, one in five women are are victims of sexual assault. Mm. The one in four, one in five, very often what happens is rape is, or sexual assault rather, is defined to include uh, uh, lewd gestures. Uh, in one case I've seen um, it even uh, uh, expanded to include if, if, a, uh, if a man is being um, uh, overly jealous uh, around his, around his, uh, his girlfriend. That, oh, that, so that could also be included. Degrees. And what it does is it trivializes actual rape. And that's oh, what does, concerns that's me. right, right. Well, Absolutely. all right. And so, you know, when they talk, too, about widespread misogyny and sexism and all the rest, let me ask you if you think that there is something, in fact, taking place. So there's a shift in social mores. There's a hypersexualization of our society. Mm. And it might be impacting young people uh, to, if not necessarily uh, get, you know, Pro, uh, promote a, a rape culture or foster a rape culture is it just a, a loosening of social mores that might be happening on campuses where you know anything goes now that is certainly the case i think at least that's demonstrably so to speak to justin's uh, uh criteria of evidence which i agree with by the way that there has to be evidence of these things let's not just talk about it there is uh, clearly signs of a hookup culture uh, of public lewdness and the ac- acceptance of this there are actually workshops for various forms of uh, sexual uh, deviance in my view and what would have been considered that in the past which are now being normalized and included and so forth so sexual transgressions of all sorts are certainly becoming common on campuses and in fact encouraged all the way down into the public school system uh, so generally I would say that is true and if the and uh, in terms of the internet uh, pornography it's increasingly a violent degrading etc towards women and the specific purpose of that so I would not be surprised if there were an effect in the, the relations between people. But I don't see the evidence of a rape culture unless you want to specifically point to that. And she didn't seem to talk about that, uh, surprisingly, in a way. Well, maybe she's confusing the two ideas that we floated here. I mean, this rape culture, but more or less this notion that uh, it's anything goes. And uh, if some women feel, you know, they're, uh, as you said, Justin, in various degrees or forms, uh, they're being demeaned. Uh, they cite that all under the, the lump sum of a, a rape culture. But, but there is a shift in social mores, obviously, isn't there? In society in general, though, to Scott's point, hmm. it filters yeah. right on down now. It permeates every every demographic, doesn't it? 
Well, I think media and culture are complicit in fostering negative uh, gender norms, but not just for women, for men too. And I think uh, sexualization, it's, tr- it's true that that overwhelmingly, you know, harms women, but there's also this kind of thug culture where, you know, men to be men are, are, are having to be tough. They're having to almost be bullies. Uh, uh, violence in some cases even, is even glamorized. And obviously that, that can lead to people getting physically hurt, just as, you know, sexualization can, can lead to people getting physically or sexually hurt as well. So, yeah, I think that is, that is a more legitimate debate that we could have. So we're, we've got a toxic culture in general. Uh, as you cited, there are other permutations. of, And yet to focus on a rape culture is sort of misguided and misleading. It's the language of 1970s and 80s feminism. And again, I see it fits in with the culture of, of women's studies departments to some degree. The language at any rate, unless she's more specific about what she's talking about, it sounds to me like an apologetic for the funding to continue to go to these departments. That's what I see as a lecturer. I'm sorry. Uh, but, but it's also Unless a question you mean of, something like what we're talking about. But, uh, just, just a quick rejoinder. I think it's also a question of, of how do we improve the, the environment on campus for both men and women. Um, do, do we do that by redefining assault in, su- in, su- assault in such a way um, that, it, that everybody almost becomes guilty of it? Um, creating a culture of fear and paranoia, um, taking away the rights of due process to those who are accused, in some cases falsely, um, or do we want to have conversations? If it's rape, you know, you, you, you prosecute that seriously. Uh, but if it's other things, do we want to have conversations that bring men and women together and, and foster mutual understanding? Well, it's I'd funny like to see that she uses both. the word rape even. I'm, it just occurred to me, we don't even call it rape anymore. It's sexual assault. So it's been generalized to something a little bit more homogenous and a little bit more acceptable. And it's largely fem- women's uh, groups that have, have uh, promoted that, in fact. Uh, it seems to me the real issue here is that there is a norm for sexual behavior, which is that of marriage, male, female, and that once the genie's out of the bottle on that, then all sorts of other things become included and normalized. And many of the same groups that uh, have attacked traditional marriage, and namely some of the groups that uh, I've spoken of here, are, are the ones that are the most that will suffer the most from it. And at the same time, I don't see them promoting uh, monogamous marriage relationships for life between men and women. That would be a way of of uh, preventing the harm to women that she is allegedly concerned about. All right. Well, yeah. I guess you're saying uh, there's got to be a modicum of restraint, and all bets are off now. And uh, there are some cases to be made. There. Were, uh, Progress is not all bad, but uh, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, Justin, but uh, Scott says we've gone off the rails, and uh, there's a permissive I think he's society. To, trying to tie together two very different topics. He's a no. very, it's a very permissive society, and uh, maybe the culture on campus is just a reflection of overall society. Can we say that much? Do you think it lives in its own sort of parallel universe? Well, I, I do seriously disagree with you on this, Scott. I think, you know, some of what's happening on campus, some of the progressive tendencies or movements on campus towards um, uh, redefining uh, families, I think that's a positive thing. <laughs> I, I think uh, redefining families or expanding the definition of families to include gay families, uh, loving monogamous gay families that may or may not be bringing up children, I actually think that's a positive thing. I actually mm-hmm. think that reduces um, uh, having uh, uh, sex out of marriage. I think that reduces the, the STDs and the other harms that can come from that. I don't see how you can tie that uh, okay, well, to I mean, another debate uh, that can actually foster incredible harm on people. Having said I'm off topic, you're glad to go off topic with me. That's well, no, fine. I'm joining you <laughs> off topic. Um, okay, well, I mean, on that point, 
point as far as STDs uh, go. Uh, AIDS, for example, which was in the 80s attributed to the gay community prominently, uh, is still prominent amongst the gay community primarily uh, to suggest that somehow that this promotes love and inclusivity and that uh, a better society results. Again, lacks any empirical evidence. First of all, the gay families that actually have adopted children, the, the results that have come in that I've seen thus far tend to suggest that there's a negative consequence. But for when the you children. marginalize gay people, do you think that's going to foster stable, monogamous gay relationships? No, no. No, 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 of families? course not. That's not the same thing. To promote the one is not the same as attacking the other. But uh, um, All right. I didn't want to stray too far off no. campus life. Let me grab one call in here under the wire. Albert North York, what do you say? Good morning. Hey, well, I want to quote a friend of a regular friend of the show, Barbara Kay, who said, we don't live in a rapist culture because if we did, all our girls would be wearing burkas. Well, well, she did write a poignant piece concerning this rape culture thing where she decried it saying, they, uh, first you've got to define culture, and that's kind right. of nebulous, so it's not really working on college campuses for her, I thought, and which is an interesting perspective because coming from a female, if a man had written that same op-ed piece, do you think it might have been uh, meeting more criticism? Yeah, for Absolutely. sure. We both agreed on that. <laughs> All right, well, we'll leave on an agreement uh, then uh, as far as that's concerned. The rape culture and uh, the story about the ground zero uh, the museum piece of the Christian cross. We'll have to see if that one contested in court successfully by the atheist uh, of America. Gentlemen, thank you both. Scott Masson is the associate pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, and Justin Trottier is spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.